Joysauce is a new American-Asian media platform that makes space for vibrant, unforgettable stories full of nuance and contradictions seldom discussed in the mainstream, normalizing and celebrating Asian-American presence in all facets of media. Enjoy the diverse tapestry of narratives that make up the American-Asian landscape at www.joysauce.com. Hey everyone, I'm David Chen, the host of the Culturally Relevant podcast, and welcome to Culturally Relevant Conversations, a special collection of interviews from my podcast featuring Asian diaspora visionaries brought to you courtesy of Joy Sauce. What you're about to hear is my conversation with Bao Tran, the writer-director of The Paper Tigers. The Paper Tigers is a movie that tells the story of three middle-aged men who have to avenge their fallen master. And it does so with sensitivity, with poignancy, and a lot of love. Not to mention the action in this movie really delivers. The fight scenes are well choreographed and shot with the sensibility of someone who clearly loves older Asian martial arts films. This movie is great. You should definitely check it out. It's available right now on Netflix as of this recording. This conversation with Bao Tran was originally published in May of 2021. Enjoy. Bao Tran, thanks so much for joining me today on Culturally Relevant. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So I usually like to start with breaking in stories. Uh, how would you say you broke into the filmmaking industry? Oof. Um, how did I break water? Uh, <laughs> I started at an early age just making films uh, like in my backyard uh, with my my best friends and all that stuff. So, we, you know, I did the whole kind of VHS um uh, filmmaking and, and and gathering all the, the friends and writing a story and editing and doing this all kind of like homemade on VHS decks. So um, it just kind of grew from there and it grew into, I guess, you know, a bigger, more ambitious stories. And, and pretty soon, you know, uh, we had, you know, we had needs to actually hire people or have people work on it for free. Let's say that's how it started out. Uh, that weren't my friends. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it was all kind of an organic thing uh, as far as, uh, you know, the industry itself, like the first paid gig, you know, I would just, I would do like wedding gigs and, well, and, yeah, and yeah, before we get stuff. to, before we get yeah. to the paid gig, like what, uh, was it that inspired you to want to be into, into films? Yeah. Well, I grew up watching, uh, Hong Kong movies and like TV serials, uh, at home, you know, a uh, family would go rent or borrow these, uh, you know, 30 packs of VHS tapes of entertainment from Asia. Uh, and so we'd watch that at home and then outside uh, and in ton of multiplexes, I'd watch, you know, your Spielbergs and James Cameron and, you know, all the standard Hollywood fare. Um, so that was kind of my whole diet. I grew up watching Bruce Lee, who had that kind of like middle area because he was on TV. So it was like, hey, here's an Asian guy, but he was also on, you know, broadcast TV. He had his movies on like Kung Fu Theater and all that. So it had all that um, things growing up. But it wasn't until Jackie Chan and really getting into to into Jackie Chan that I wanted to make movies. Uh, you know, so Bruce Lee was kind of this figure that's like, oh my gosh, he's great. He's awesome. You kind of watch him just as a person to marvel at. Mm -hmm. But Jackie Chan, for some reason, had a just a feel and a rhythm to his filmmaking that I just wanted to figure out. Like, I just wanted to understand what he was doing. Um, yeah, and so, yeah. The, Bruce Lee, obviously, like a legend, uh, mm -hmm. but I feel like Jackie Chan is, is more of an entertainer to me, you know, mm -hmm. than Bruce Lee mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. uh, I And it always feels like he's just trying to, like, put on a good show, you know, whereas I don't necessarily get that from Bruce Lee. <laughs> well, there's, an, like, an accessibility factor to him. And I think I, I could feel that the filmmaking was 
you know, like it was really tangible, just the way the cutting and the way it was done with the rhythm and the music right. and the fighting and stuff. And that just led me down a rabbit hole because I wanted to figure out what inspired him. And he would all say, you know, always say Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. So that kind of opened up that road for me to kind of go down and study that. So then I started falling in love with movies as, as a whole. You know, I started, you know, liking action movies, but then he opened the door as far as like understanding filmmaking and comedy and storytelling and all that. Um, so yeah, that, that just kind of like blew the door open uh, for me in terms of just like wanting to be a filmmaker uh, and, and so-called getting into the industry. So you said you were making like short films with your friends. Uh, what were the short films about? They were all martial arts themed. They were all like, I fashioned myself to be a, a Jackie Chan, you know, protege. I was like, okay, you know, he's, he's a guy who stars and acts and writes and directs and edits and, and do all that. And, you know, maybe I was the only one that really had a real passion for it among our friends. So, you know, you, I became the natural ringleader in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I was kind of doing all this stuff like martial arts stuff and my friends who maybe didn't even know martial arts, but they're big, tall and white. So, you know, I kind of use them as uh, as dummies and, and springboards and all that stuff. So it was just all like really slapsticky and funny stuff and just kind of like, you know, trying to imitate the things that you like. So you were talking about how you got your first paid gig. You're doing weddings, um, filming weddings, it sounds like. Yeah. So it's funny. It's like, what does it mean to get paid? What does it mean to kind of get into the industry and, you know, have your first so-called paycheck? But, you know, I was using my skills and abilities to to do weddings and, and kind of videography gigs and again making short films while I, uh, while that was happening and uh you know just every short film got bigger and bigger so i had to find like other side hustles to figure out you know how to how to raise money to do you know bigger and bigger shorts uh so you your bio says that you uh were mentored by uh action director Corey yen how did that come about yeah, Corey was a family friend. I went to school, high school with his his kids, his family. Um, so that's why I got to know him. So that was almost this this kind of like uh, charmed, you know, uh, charmed uh, magical fairy dust moment, you know, to kind of meet the master because I was trying to figure out, you know, how Jackie Chan and you know all the Hong Kong filmmakers did it. And then I, I'm not a I'm not from a showbiz family or a family or a film entertainment. So this was just me trying to figure things out on my own without before YouTube, mind you, and before, you know, any type of tutorials that were online, I was just kind of grasping in the dark. Um, but then, you know, Corey, you know, came into my life and he was just this huge mentor to me and just kind of give me the ideas and the tips and tricks and about filmmaking. And, you know, he was the one who kind of disabused me of, of starring in my stuff. <laughs> he was just like, if you're going to direct, you should just direct. Uh, so maybe that was a very gentle way of telling me I was a bad actor, but, uh, uh, yeah, so I took that, you know, to heart and I basically focused on being behind the camera and just kind of trying to figure out the craft. Well, why why did he recommend that? Do you think? I think for him, he was like, you, there's just so much attention to detail when you're directing is that when you're acting, you're kind of like split attention. So you, especially maybe because I was starting out and, and learning things, he was like, just focus on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any other big insights that, uh, you learned from him? Like, did you show him some of your short films and he commented on them? Like, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, I would show stuff that I was working on. He'd give tips and tricks and just kind of stuff to kind of play just the nitty gritty craft stuff. Um, you know, he'd show me his stuff, his movies and stuff, and kind of do walkthrough, comment, almost like live commentary of some of the scenes that he was working on and the way he was thinking and just kind of like stuff like that. And uh, just in general, kind of just kind of like even just light or film life advice about how to kind of navigate 
the industry and, you know, thinking about really thinking about the story. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway is like, he would say like, you can't have good action without good story. So it was always a way of figuring out, like, it's not just designing fight, cool fight moves or core action moves. It's like figuring out what's happening with the characters and how do you kind of push that forward um, so that, you know, the audience is engaged. You know, sometimes even the engagement of the characters is more more enticing than the choreography itself. So that was like, in a way, to kind of like let, that light bulb moment. It's like, oh, it's not just the moves. It's not just the thing. But if you had both, you know, you have a great combination uh, from that. Um and yeah, I just thinking about the the audience for the world. Maybe again, this was kind of pre YouTube all that, but you know, I was making movies for my friends. You know, we'd watch it, we laugh at it, it entertained us. You know, <laughs> it entertained our our near circle. But he was, you know, making movies for the world, so it just got me uh, to be really aware of the movies that we were making, the stories that we we're telling. Is that you're, you know, you got to be aware that you know someone across the world might see this. And so that just kind of like broadened my horizons just to think, you know, internationally, think globally, think, you know, entire, the entire human family, if you will. And uh, just think about, you know, how stories are, can come across that way. And I think I, that goes back to, you know, the Chaplin and all this, like, like the huge influence that Chaplin has. I mean, that's the broad success that he's had is, is exactly a testament to that. I think uh, my favorite action movies are the ones where every action scene perform some element of character development as opposed to, oh, we just accidentally happened to bump into these guys and now we had to fight them on the way home, right? Like yeah. the, where the action scene actually means something to the characters. Like, do you share that philosophy or... Yeah. I, I, I sense that you did from watching the film. So I'm curious if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like, like I've kind of going down that tip of you can't have good, good action without a good story. It's like almost, I can't really do anything without a good, without a story or a motive. Like, you know, that cliche, what's my motivation? It's like, yeah, it is kind of similar to that. It's like, I don't, I can like me and my action team, we can come up with cool moves and a cool scene, but like, what does it all kind of build up to, you know? So the question that we're always kind of looking for is like, what's the payoff? What is this all? Well, what are we all trying to aim for so that the audience can have something? uh to 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 enjoy or be be thrilled or excited by but you know if you can hook them uh not just by their eyes but by their heart you know that's like that's the power of cinema um and even like on the western side you know james cameron spielberg and brad bird and uh edgar wright you know i think they're all they're all masters at this so let's talk about the paper tigers right yeah. at the time that you were gearing up to make this film uh, what what was your life like at that point? Like, what what were you doing uh, full time at the time? Like, how are you surviving at the time? Were you doing filmmaking full time? What was going on? Yeah, I was bouncing around. So, I think um, I was, you know, in search of a feature, right? So, I made it a lot of shorts, and uh, they did well. But you know, you're kind of ready. You don't want to be the shorts guy, right? So, I think everybody has to kind of get ready and gear up for their first feature. So, I was along that tip as well. Um, I ended up doing, um, going out to, to work out in Vietnam because, uh, a lot of filmmakers, my generation or Vietnamese American filmmakers, or even Asian American filmmakers of, of my age and my generation, uh, have actually gone back to, to Asia, to kind of their respective homelands to, to make films. Uh, and Vietnam in particular is kind of a hotbed for that. I have a lot of peers and a lot of, um, uh, friends that that have gone back to work in the industry in Vietnam, doing local language uh, films for the local audience, right? Um, so that was like popping off in a big way, and they needed uh, basically an editor. 
Um, so a lot of my friends who were already directing, but they needed an editor. And for me, I don't really fancy myself as an editor by trade, but, you know, because I learned to kind of do all the things well enough, um, you know, I went over there to, to work on some, some films out there. Um, so I think it was somewhere about that time I was kind of toying with this idea. I didn't really have uh, a full, full grasp of it yet. I was, uh, I think I had pitched it, uh, at a, at a, at a lab, a film lab. Um, down in LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, um, and then I, you know, w- absconded to Vietnam to work for uh, a couple films. So that kind of like put it on pause. So I was going back and forth uh, in terms of like writing it, but also editing for others. So that 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 was the mind space that I was in for the first couple of years of doing it, which is basically you know ten years now to where we are now. Yeah, and how did the idea for the film come about? And we should say the film is about. Uh, the film, The Paper Tigers, is about three middle-aged men who have to avenge their fallen master. Uh, when did you first start getting the idea for this? Yeah, I think it was I, f- I was feeling come some kind of way, like in the same sense that it was just so hard to get a first feature off the ground and all those things. And uh, I thought it was hard back then. It was like, yeah, I should talk to talk, he should have talked to me now, <laughs> see what that was like. But you know, I was feeling a little burnt out um, about the industry, about the, kind of the way things were kind of like set up whether the, the cards are uh, stacked against me or whatever or anyone really trying to you know make their way into the so-called industry so yeah, I was, can, can we can we pause there for a moment yeah. i'm curious like what what had you tried to accomplish that you hadn't accomplished that, that gave you that frustration um well i i'd shopped some scripts around before that so i had some other ideas and maybe it was just too expensive or it just wasn't able to be made at that time but just kind of seeing the way things were set up in a way where it was like very, it still is, you know, it was at that time vampires were really in, right? So at that time, like that was a big trend. If you don't have a vampire script, you know, you can't really make it and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of those things were seem kind of goofy to me and just the way that the, 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 the city or the, the, the town, you know, kind of chases trends and, and kind of green light stuff that, you know, ultimately doesn't really, um, it's not very memorable, to be honest. Like I, you know, I, I don't think many people can rattle off too many vampire movies from that time period that you know kind of stand the test of time. So, were you at the time trying to get financing for like a feature as a first-time filmmaker? Is that what was happening? Yeah, same, same yeah. drill, same yeah. drill. I mean, like I said, after after you do a short, you're pretty much kind of like, you know, what's the next thing right. on your track? Is it is a first feature? Either you, you know, uh, get onto someone else's feature, or you do you do it independently or whatnot. Right, uh, right. But, you know, I was doing all that. And even just general, like a, a lot of friends of mine were starting to fall away or falling out as well. So it's just in general. Like falling the, out of the industry. They're like giving falling up. Falling out of the industry, but also yeah. falling out from each other. And these mm. were friends that were close and that we had, you know, uh, you know, working relationships uh, up to that. And so that was kind of like, you know, sad. It was because, you know, you go and I was making movies, like I said, in the backyard with my best friends. And that was always the vibe that I always want, even to this day, about what it means to make movies together. You know, I think that's the best type of creativity. Uh, but, you know, I saw a lot of friends that worked together in previous films for whatever reason, ego, money, whatever, girls, you know, people have a falling out. And then and then the other one, like you said, it's like they have they burn out from the industry and they, they leave. Um, and a lot, and it's kind of a battle of attrition, right? So, I mean, I feel like I've seen, sorry to digress here, but I feel like I've seen a lot of people that are way more talented than me, than me, way better at filmmaking and, but they just, they just couldn't hang on. 
Right. Um, so for me, I'm just like, I just hold, hold on by a <laughs> finger and then just hopefully, you know, hope for the best. But, you yeah. know, that's the kind of way I, it feels still to this day. Like there's a lot of great filmmakers out there that have gone civilian and their potentials <laughs> have been untapped. And I, I just mm. think that's, that's an interesting way to kind of see things, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but um, yeah, so anyways, you know, that's, it's, it's not what I signed up for. I think it was, maybe that's helps you answer, uh, helps answer what you're, what you're asking about. It's like, it's not what I signed up for about making movies and it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. So I was just feeling, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean? It wasn't what you signed up for. Like what, what, what was the gulf between your vision for it and what it was? Well, I think a couple of things like, yeah, like I said, I wanted to make movies cause it was fun and I loved it. And it was passion, you know, I was passionate about it. And I also tell stories to the audience. Like I knew what the audience wants. Like right. I could have a beat on that. And so it felt like there's a lot of middle people, or people that like didn't really have anything to do or even cared about the audience. Right. They just wanted to pick their pockets. And so it just everything felt like movie making was more exploitative versus like the actual grand storytelling, you know, vocation that we it have. It used to you be know? about the stories. It used man. to be. It used to be, man. Right. It used and- to be. And so you thought uh, like the filmmaking industry would be mostly like, uh, you know, telling stories. But in fact, we're telling stories to the audience. In fact, you're spending most of the time telling stories to people who will pay you to tell stories to the audience, basically. Yeah. And that's um, and we can get back to that later. That's why it's so exciting to kind of like finally have our movie be out in the, in the audience and let the audience and world judge because that's all we all always wanted. But again, it's been to even get it made. You have to deal with a lot of middle people and a lot of gatekeepers and a lot of that stuff. Uh, so the same story back then. So at any rate, you know, I was just feeling it wasn't what I was signed up for because that wasn't what the craft or the, 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 the kind of the purpose of it, the, the whole, the, the play is the thing, right? So that's what we, you know, what I hone my craft for. That's what I kind of like dedicate my, my energy and my, my efforts toward is to make the craft better so that the audience can enjoy it. But, you know, there's all so much noise and storm and drumming around that. It's about, you know, getting the trailers and getting the money and blah, blah, blah. So it's all those things like that has nothing to do with what I signed up for. Um, so at any rate, I mean, essentially this whole thing was just that feeling of discontent. And I think that's what it kind of led into this movie was I was also thinking about my other passion is martial arts when I was young. Um, and I also saw kind of the same things there. Like a lot of friends had falling out and, mm. and people burning out from martial arts and as a profession versus as a, as a art and a hobby, you know, it's a different thing when you actually have to start to monetize something. Right. Um, so it's very similar thing between movies and martial arts in terms of that path, um, that I had. So then I kind of fed that into this idea for the story is that you essentially do have these three guys who were once passionate about, uh, martial arts and for each had care and uh, care for each other and then suddenly poof you know all that's gone and what does that mean now do they do they should they rediscover it and does it have purpose for them does it still is it something that they want to pass on to the next generation Uh, so that's kind of that seed overall that emotion um uh for the story what were some of your biggest film inspirations like you you named you know jackie chan and so on but like i'm curious specific films that really guided you inspired you uh when you were making the paper tigers uh, uh, for the for the paper tigers specifically or just yeah is that what you're saying or yeah, kind sure. of film I mean, and inspiration both you know like the paper tiger specifically or in general yeah yeah um well i'll we'll speak for the paper tigers specifically like we i love shot of the dead and that was like one of the you know big watershed kind of movies for me because i wasn't really into zombie movies 
but I really loved what the movie did. And, you know, and it, there was had something, and also it seemed to have all the things that enough, you know, fan service, if you will, to people who do like zombie movies uh, did enjoy it as well. But for me, you know, I wasn't a zombie person. I actually wasn't really into the trailer when I saw it, but everyone was just telling me to see it, it was word of mouth. And so I gave it a shot and it was really fantastic um, because not only was it, you know, this fun adventure movie, but it was also about this guy, like trying to grow a pair, you know, just trying to find some purpose and direction in his life. So it had a real character arc that I really appreciated. Um, so that kind of gave it, you know, that, that through line that, um, you know, maybe I hadn't seen before in, in zombie movies. Right. Um, so that was to me, it's like, oh my gosh, it could be done. It could be done in a way that's loving to a genre, but also kind of like, um, kind of break the wall up a little bit and and do something fresh with it so we always thought like we wanted to make the paper tigers for kung fu movies what Shaun of the dead did for zombie movies um and i'm sure during the pitch everyone's like yeah 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 we've heard that before <laughs> like, it's a very the sims you know it's a comp you know they, yeah, they've, yeah, they've heard they've Shaun heard of the dead everybody of said this Shaun genre we want to make the Shaun of the dead exactly. of romantic comedies yeah, yeah. and it's, a, like and it's yeah it's a very and it's almost to the point of cliche but we really did mean it like Shaun of the dead is a fantastic film and there's nothing wrong with using that as a you know comp by any means, but I think maybe we're all looking at the different things because I was looking at the heart and the spine of the movie, uh, in addition to, to to kind of the fun and the comedy of it as well. Um, any martial arts films that were an inspiration? Yeah, martial arts films. Um, Rocky, definitely Rocky. Uh, not not what I generally think <laughs> of in terms of martial arts films, but yeah. okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean that Rocky to me is a definitely a combat martial arts film for sure sure um uh but it definitely kind of like the character grounded and stuff like this um i think in terms of the i think in terms of what the action stuff was a bit of a deconstruction and to be honest i don't think there was too much of an influence for us um for between me and my action director ken because it, it felt like it was new territory to have like these sloppy guys fighting uh, maybe maybe they live as far as like that sloppy fighting, but I mean, that's kind of like kind of a different pitch and a tone. So, but in terms of just kind of like breaking it apart, you know, these guys who are, what does it look like to have these guys who are passer prime to try to fight each other, you know, and then really right. kind of, really kind of like dig into that and then double down and, and figure out what that looks like. I mean, it was a new design for all of us. Um, this is so interesting. I, I thought you were going to hit me with like a drunken master two or a police <laughs> story or something like that. But well, I mean, those are perennials for sure. Like, but I think that's why I was asking for filmmaking in general. Yeah, right. those are definitely like reference encyclopedia stuff that we all look at, you know, for yeah. sure. Um, but when you're asking about like this movie in particular, like I was thinking of the Big Chill. You know, thematically, it's very similar to the Big Chill. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, I guess I, I just was very impressed by the rhythm of the martial arts scenes in this movie. Like it felt like heavily inspired by those you know movies that you mentioned earlier, right? Um, it's in our DNA. It's for yeah, sure. In you're our you're DNA. just like it's not even you're not it's not even worth naming. It's just <laughs> it's already part of who you are. So yeah, it's the repertoire. Uh, I mean, those are all like yeah, those are definitely in the firmament of of great action cinema. So I, I'm not sure there's much more to say to that. But uh, um, but yeah, in terms of like just figuring out what it was, what we're not and deconstructing, you know, we just called it like Shaw Brothers in a street fight. Yes, you know, excellent. It's, it's that type of sloppiness and tripping and falling and all that stuff right. that we want to do. And it was deep programming for us because we we wanted to. Our eyes are built for creating like strong, powerful, like core. That's Corey's <laughs> like training is like beautiful, strong, and powerful. Like those are things we wanted, but we go for in general. But for this one, it's like no, it's sloppy, 
weak and slow, right? And we're trying to find what that looks like. And so it is kind of all of us. That's, I guess that was what was fun creatively. So uh, let's talk about financing the film uh, real quick. Obviously financing any film, regardless of what it is, is very tricky these days. Um, so what was your journey to get some money together for this movie and what you learned during that process? Yeah, long and winding road. I mean, uh, again, we were trying to do this maybe traditionally, you would call it, you know, going to LA, finance studio support, you know, at that time, I mean, at that time, Netflix was just like burning money left and right. We, were, you know, we all know <laughs> yeah. that period. Like they yeah. were just getting features. They just writing to build checks their left slate. and right. Yeah, they it was definitely a, were. Yeah, they yeah. definitely were. And you're uh, like, yeah, you know, what about, about Trent? About Trent wants to wet his beak a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right? we're over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at that time, you know, this is a whole landscape. So it thought like it was easy enough. To, to try to go out and pitch and get a, uh, either a budding Netflix, at that time budding Netflix deal or you know a, a kind of an indie studio micro micro major type of deal and then just pitch around around that. But uh, they all have their business models and they were uh, you know very very strict about the stuff that they wanted to do. And like you said, it's about these three aging martial artists, but they're also three POC aging martial artists. That was very intentional that we wanted to you know, set that world that was truthful to my martial arts experience, but also to Seattle uh, as a martial arts uh, region that had, you know, Bruce Lee teaching here and teaching multicultural uh, classes and teaching non-Chinese and so on. So it just felt like it was the milieu was all we wanted to be part of that. Um, so POC was like a non-negotiable, but when you go to these studios in their business models, they do want, you know, white, they need white stars because uh, they're bankable and you can put them on a poster and blah, blah, blah. And so it's this vicious catch 22 where, you know, we don't have enough POC stars, uh, to, to, to be bankable or, or anchor a movie. So they, they want you to basically choose from this subset of white, white stars. Um, and mind you, this was before crazy rich Asians and, and black Panther, right? So yeah. this, all these conversations were have, you know, people would say this quite freely, and without shame, you know, and, <laughs> and say this to us, you know, so very brazen, but that's the way the business is kid. And so we did that uh, for a while. And we had a lot of, offers. you did that meaning like pitching. Basically. We did the pitching yeah, for a lot yeah. of time. We just knocked on a lot of doors to try to keep going. We, and you know, it just didn't, we were just hitting a wall uh, and a wall because, you know, we never wanted to compromise. So any type of the offers that we had, you know, it was never a question that we were going to take them. So we were just trying to find the right partner and we, we couldn't find it in LA. Um, let's put it that way. So we decided to kind of turn to, to Kickstarter to do. And um, how, how long did that LA process last? Like it's, it sounds well, like it took a while. I mean, everything runs in parallel, right? It's Cause yeah. it's almost like you're talking to them and then you go off and do the thing. You do the Kickstarter, you come back and you follow up. So, I mean, it's like, it wasn't like, you know, everything was like clear cut cause you're always right. like keeping it communications with people. Uh, and letting them know what what you're up to, and you're like, "Hey, are we now? You like us now?" <laughs> you know, it's kind of. <laughs> it like wasn't that. linear, but would you say you spent like months, years? Like, it was a good three years. I think it was yeah. a good three years because we had we had uh you know takes time to kind of set up the meetings and pack it, and for us on our end to package things together and 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 figure out the budget and the schedule and those things. So all those things are kind of like works in progress on its own. Um, but yes, but like I said, we we uh, we went to Kickstarter, but actually before that we. Um, we had some money in in place. We had some private money, friends and family money that was in place. Uh, so we ended up shooting like pages from the script. Um, Cause what we thought was like, why not take this money and shoot a portion of the movie, which is where the heroes are younger 
which is kind of that first 10 minutes of the movie uh, in the 80s and 90s and shoot that out. Meaning just like we know that cast, we don't need them uh, for the rest of the, the film. Let's shoot that out and have that in the can. And then we also have uh, trailer footage that we could possibly leverage and use uh, to kind of keep, you know, enticing financiers and investors. Um, so that's what we ended up doing. And that's what we ended up using to, as footage for our Kickstarter. Um, and we raised, you know, uh, over 125000 on our Kickstarter. And because of that, we found other private investors who came on board who saw from just from the Kickstarter uh, exposure uh and, and got on board so that period that stage in itself was also maybe another two two and a half years yeah uh, full disclosure i'm one of those kickstarter backers. yeah yeah what up but, thank you yeah um so you ended up putting it together be- between kickstarter and and private uh backers it sounds like yeah i mean that was another year and a half i mean we had pitched to frontiers which is like kind of a genre film incubator so we went to can uh to to pitch it and we got our sales agent out of that so i mean like nothing is linear like you say like everything's just a little scratching and clawing to get this piece of asset down or this piece of team teammate you know uh, in line and, and so it was all like you know uh just pieces crumbling and falling together and then while waiting for the money to accrue because with a movie it's like you can't really go until you have the money in place so it's not like you can just you know, a piece of software, you just kind of do pieces and pieces and iterate or whatever. It's like, it's, yeah. you have to have the whole nut to go. It sounds like this was a extremely arduous and depressing period of your life. Uh, you know, at least the early parts when you weren't getting any traction with people in Hollywood. Um, did you ever doubt yourself or did you ever feel like maybe I should just give up on this? And if so, <laughs> like what motivated you to continue? Well, we have a team. So we have like four producers, uh, you know, so when one is down, the other, we help each other up and the other's down and vice versa. So it's like this is kind of this nice little Voltron where we, you know, there's, we're not all completely depressed, uh, <laughs> knock on wood, not yet. Uh, but you know, it is, it is, but it was also all for one because we just kind of, even of one mind, just when deals came across the way, I mean, there was no real like disagreement about what to pass on and, and what to take and whatnot. Um, so there's that, I think there was kind of a, there wasn't a doubt, but I guess it was just like, we just didn't know how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, that is kind of like the question of, of the day, because it's like, honestly, like 10 years of come to Jesus moments. Cause if you build a budget and you're not raising the money that's needed for that budget, do you go, well, do we bump down the budget? What is it that that's kind of keeping us here? Should we cut down on our shooting days, our schedule and our plan? And cut down on that and then you know bring the barrier of entry down and then we could get to green light faster right so it's constantly that that type of question about like is this the right shape and size that the movie needs to be um and i would push back because it's like you can't cut days out of my schedule because you have to like this becomes we need time to shoot the action you know if the action needs to be good of a certain quality we can't we cut down on too many days and it loses a thing because you know keep in mind you know there's all this there's a lot of uh, indie and uh, kind of like, I guess, how would you say this? A lot of indie film tutorials of saying, hey, set your movie in a room with two characters. And that's like, so, mm. which is great, but it almost puts the cart before the horse in a lot of ways. Well, what's your story? Like, and for us, right. we knew our story had a certain scope. It had a certain uh, uh, canvas that we needed to work on. And if we cut uh, our corners and tighten our belt too much, you know, it breaks like something like that will break and it can't be the thing anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, I obviously really enjoyed the film, uh, but when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, Bao really didn't make it easy for himself." Like there was, <laughs> there were some scenes that have like fifty background, uh, you yep. know, actors in it. I'm just yep. like, "Wow, like you know, you, you probably you probably could have done it with like fewer background actors, but you know, you went all the way." And I mean, it looks great, right? But you went yeah. all the way. Yeah. Uh, and so it sounds like there, there's just like the sc- the scope of the film you just did not want to compromise on. Yeah, and I it's funny, ironically, I thought I when I wrote it, I was like, This is a cheap movie. Like this is like <laughs> not this is not that expensive. But you know, uh for the budget that we had, it's it's not small not a small amount of change and for exactly the reason it took us that long to raise. But in the grand frame of uh grand scale of uh, movies, like we're way on the cheap end of, you know, movies and budgets for sure, right? So it's like, you know, uh it is definitely a low budget movie, but we Tried to make it look like it was 10x what we did. Yeah, are, and that was are you willing to disclose what the final uh, budget was? Or yeah, we yeah we came out to about a million uh, yeah. for for the film, but you know a million is a lot again for a lot of ducats, but compared to you know the grand scheme of things of all the other films out there, it's it's barely anything. Yeah, and it looks you know mul- many multiples of that, so I definitely think you like got your value out of that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I mean that was the goal to just at least try to make it look like it was more and try to look you know give it as much bang for every buck. As possible so it also comes down to the team that we had too so uh it was obviously independently financed and there are a lot of advantages and disadvantages to making a small indie film like this right one big advantage is you get to do whatever you want like i mean within the constraints of your resources right so yep. you no one's telling you like please cut this character or anything like that like it's your your story to tell did you have any uh, things that you were like, were there any times you were really grateful? Like, oh man, I'm glad I'm telling the story in this way. And then were there any times where you felt like, oh, I, I wish we had more resources or the backing of a major studio? Um, and, and anything like that, just kind of asking you to reflect on the, the indie nature of the film production. Yeah, I think, I think all things told, like we ended up kind of going through making the film. And at the end of the day, like even when we kind of like, press you know control s on on the final print and started sending out there was a feeling like holy cow like at least we we're in the driver's seat you know whatever however the movie is going to be received or whether it's good or bad or people like it or not it's like we we did this and now our destiny is in our hands because if we took any deals earlier on like they would have taken a pound of flesh yeah and that's just the way you know the movie business is so if we took any of these offers any of these deals uh early on even if they were favorable but didn't mean that it didn't necessarily mean that we had creative control. Um, you know, this movie would not be the same thing, and we wouldn't, wouldn't we wouldn't have that decision making to be able to kind of like decide what's best for the movie versus decide you know under duress of like oh I gotta you know I gotta do this for you know the financiers or whatever. Was um, there so any we, any specific things in the movie that you felt like really um, benefited from kind of being on your own? Yeah. Absolutely. I think just the fact that we were writing so many different moods and tones. Yeah. Like if we had other people, other cooks in the kitchen, it would have like upset it because it already is really difficult to find that balance between me and my editor creatively. Yeah. And then also, you know, our team also kind of like being on the same page creatively as well. But if we had other people who didn't like quite get what we're going for, like if you saw the work prints and you like kind of saw maybe just the uh, assembly edits, like you wouldn't understand what we're trying to go for. But it takes time to whittle all that to get to, get to that kind of balance or hopefully that balance, right? Um, yeah, so and, and there's just so, there's so few martial arts 
action comedies these days, right? So yeah. Yeah. it's not like, oh, this is, there's a common template from which you can draw. I mean, there is a common template, but it's it's not a, a, a movie sort of genre that is extremely popular these days, right? Um, it, yeah. the, the, the Rush Hour one is probably the uh, – Rush Hour franchise is probably the one that most people think about. Rush Hour um, or like a Stephen Chow, like a yeah. uh, like a Kung Fu, uh, Hustle, Kung Fu Hustle or you know, Shaolin yeah. uh, Soccer, which which are all great, but you know they're kind of a different kind of a different pitch. You know, we're kind of a little bit more low key type of martial arts comedy. So it's yeah. like that's and, but if that's the only comparison that pe- people have um, at that time, I mean that's 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 fair too. I mean, people now they mentioned kind of Cobra Kai, but like keep in mind, like we were doing this ten years before Cobra Kai. Like I wrote this seven eight years ago. Uh, before any of that and yeah. the script didn't really change that much until into production uh uh except for some of the ad libs and, and all that stuff but you know we were already on the track of what we wanted to do so there wasn't like you were saying there wasn't really that much to point to as far as like well what are we trying to go for like uh, you know there wasn't real a real comp yeah and so ha- having that vision and being able to carry it out obviously very important were there any times when you felt like oh man i really wish we had some more backing to to you know shoot a scene that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to shoot or anything like that. I wish we had more time. <laughs> it's always time. And I think that's always, you know, the, that's what every, every filmmaker and director is always going to beg for. But, you know, for us, it had that ironic thing where almost, it was almost like Danny in the movie of this perception of time, because, you know, you're sitting around in essentially development for eight years. And, uh, it seems like a lot of time to yourself. Yeah. But then when it's go, when you have the money in the bank and it's like green light, it's like, go, go, go. And so our prep was actually super compressed. Our prep was maybe only about five, five weeks or so. Um, and, and how long to shoot the film? Six weeks. Yeah. So you, yeah. you're, you're prepping for this six weeks for eight years, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is funny. Cause yeah. Cause you don't have any, any real, real logistics to consider until it's in front of you like okay we have this amount of money and this you can look at this room and that room what do you want because right. before it's all vaporware it's like you, know, you just sit and like daydream what it would look like but right. when you're when you're confronted with brass tacks and confronted with the reality of you know the, what the budget can afford you and yada yada you know you you make choices and then you can actually make plans for camera your floor plan and all that it's it's just not real until you actually start doing that stuff uh, but what I wanted was time in that prep because I was actually uh, auditioning and I was rehearsing actors in LA while my AD and my production designer up here in Seattle were scouting locations, which is totally bass backwards. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. You know, it's, I should be with the 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 the, right. the location scout signing off, discussing what am I looking for. But they were literally like sending me pictures on my phone of what this three dimensional space looked like. Like it was just not a great way. Uh, not an ideal way to do it, but we made it work. But if we had a real timeline at real time to kind of sit down uh, with the AD and kind of like prepare the whole shoot, like that's, that's the way it should be done. But the point is when, when the clock starts, it's like, it's like you run. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously many martial arts fight scenes in the, uh, in the movie and they're very well done, very entertaining. Uh, any, tricks you learned or any recommendations you have for how to shoot a good martial arts fight scene like what do you what do you recommend when it comes to that uh well we would follow kind of the hong kong uh style which is like you have an action unit and basically there is an action director even though the guild doesn't like me saying it it's we have an action director <laughs> all right 
So we have an actual director who there is is calling the shots, figuring yeah. out the shots, shot plan, figuring out the timing, and 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 working with the actors to to do to do that uh, to do that action. And um, so that's a very kind of like counterintuitive way, the way kind of uh, Hollywood does it, or kind of Americans do it, because they it's still very top down. It's like the director, and then you maybe bring in a a fight consultant or a fight choreographer or a stunt coordinator who has done previs or something like that. And then you, you take it under advisement, but ultimately, you know, it's up to the director to kind of like figure out what they want to do. Um, the problem with that is that most directors don't really know how to do action. Um, so if you kind of hand it over and give the final say to the director, it doesn't always come out uh, very well because the director might muck it up or, or change things and not and question why things are, were done the way they were uh, by the action team. So for me, you know, I wanted to have an action team that I trust. I've worked with them for many short films uh, previously, and I kind of give them a free reign and just kind of we we talk about the process and the the theme and all the things that I'm looking for, and then they kind of they're off to the races and they they do it. Um, so our style of filmmaking is very particular. Um, so I don't know if there's a, a real advice to give other than like try to learn and figure out how that's done and and find your tribe and find your your squad that you can trust to do so. Um, but also when you're filming is that you also kind of liaise between departments because uh, for Hong Kong filmmaking, uh, it's like you, we shoot in segments, right? You shoot in little uh, pieces of action that you end up cutting together and stringing out uh, in your kind of a linear fashion of what the action is. Whereas traditional Hollywood filmmaking is, you know, shoot this big wide master shot and then you shoot these inserts. You kind of go closer and closer and closer and you kind of have like this this kind of like pancake type of footage and you, you kind of cut and weave in and out as needed, but it's not, it ends up, it can end up being really um, unfocused and unclear the type of action because you're just jumping in and out between different shots versus like actually pre-planning the sequencing of the shots for a particular angle for a particular impact and so on. So that's a very, very specific way of shooting, but also creates impacts, you know, uh, technically, because your your lighting has to change with each each sequence that you shoot, uh, so you don't shoot just one side of the wall and then the other side for to, for time efficiency, you know. So it's a it's a different process. It's it's a question of teamwork as well. Uh, I want to talk briefly about the cast. Uh, you needed to find three guys that had good chemistry with each other, were capable of doing comedy, and also martial arts. And also, you had an indie film budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty tall order. Uh, how did you go about casting the main leads? Yeah, so that's the biggest t- the thing that we had of going. You know what? What exactly we were trying to do? Did we want you know uh, a dramatic or actor? Or an actor could do like dramatic acting versus action acting, or it can do action. Um, do you want a martial artist, a guy who's really good at action? but is not the greatest actor. So for us, we kind of lean towards um, someone who could act with the hopes that, you know, they didn't have two left feet and they had some coordination that we could work with. Uh, because at the end of the day, we wanted kind of the chemistry and the, the, the relationship of the brothers, the three tigers to, to come across and to be believable. And then for the action, it was okay if they were a little off kilter or a lot off step because they are out of shape. So you know, maybe I threw it to the action team, like, "Hey, you deal with it." But you know, for us, we were like, "Let's just have the, let's just make sure they're good actors first. Mm. Um, so that was a kind of like, uh, you know, a creative decision for us to kind of make together, and we are we're all on board with that. 
Um, and Ron Yuan, who plays Hang, was first. He was actually friends, good friends with our producer, Yuji Okamoto, who's also an actor. Uh, and that, so they, they all knew each other and had worked with each other in, on, on many projects years before. Um, so Ron was kind of an easy get, if you will. Like he was, he was kind of a, he really, really fit the part and he just felt like a great, uh, easy match. And also he was, he was the most experienced in martial arts. Um, so we knew he could kind of do all those things that, that was asked of him, uh, for, for the role of Danny and for Jim that went out to casting, you know, we went out to auditions with our casting director, uh, and basically searched high and low for anyone that was willing to submit a tape. And so that's how we found Elaine who plays Danny. He has a taekwondo and breakdancing background. And then we found Mikkel Shannon Jenkins to play Jim, who has like a boxing background and has been in an action film before, Undisputed 3. Um, but yeah, so I mean, uh, it kind of worked out. But again, we were just looking for tape, acting tapes first. And then we looked at their additional uh, action demo reels and see if that was anything that could help us. Um, so it, it, it seemed to work out for us. Amazing. Amazing. I will tell you, uh, when I watched this film uh, with my little COVID bubble, me and my wife, and we live basically in a, in a bubble with one other person. We all watched the movie together. We were you know, it's just like screaming with excitement virtually every 10, sec- <laughs> 10 minutes because you'd show a, a, a very commonly known Seattle location. Nice. Uh, throughout the movie. In some ways, the movie felt like a love letter to Seattle because there's just very few movies that are filmed in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, largely, I think, because of tax reasons. Um, but I am curious uh, if, like, w- what were some of the things you enjoyed and didn't enjoy about filming in Seattle? Seattle's our home. Like, I think, uh, yeah, like you said, it is a love letter, again, to the martial arts legacy that Bruce Lee left behind. But also us growing up, you know, uh, the whole opening sequence, we have a uh, kid sensation who was, you know, a well-known uh, label made of uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot. And so that song is just that kind of puts you in that time and period. If you grew up here, you kind of know that song and how, how much uh, his music was, you know, in the air at that time. Um, so all the elements, you know, that we were putzing around Chinatown International District uh, and shooting all these locations and then just kind of all the Kung Fu elements of Chinatown and Kung Fu schools and the lore of you know, these uh, Baymos and dojo busting, that's that's all kind of part of uh, Seattle history for sure. Um, so shooting in Chinatown International District was great because the community was like super down with us. They, they came out and gave snacks to us. All the bakeries and restaurants, you know, would give uh, the crew like little snacks and things to, to nosh on as we were filming there. So that was fantastic. There was nothing um, to complain around that. Um, what was difficult? Um, I gotta say it was pretty charmed. Like I said, we had the community give us, you know, free locations to use, to lay down for base camp and, uh, you know, break for lunch. So we had all these places, uh, that we could count on and rely on, especially around the, the Chinatown area. Um, maybe I think if anything, maybe just, we had a lot of plane noise. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Cause you're right. You're right near uh SeaTac airport. We're basically. right in SeaTac. Yeah. And even when we're up North and just even, we thought we were far away, but it's still under the flight path. So yeah. I guess I never really paid attention to uh, <laughs> how much air traffic there was until we were shooting. And there was a lot. And we yeah. had a hole for playing. I think even on our iTunes version, there's a like a BTS uh, blooper reel. And then there's a whole reel of just us holding for planes. So uh, you can feel a little bit of our pain. But I think I had PTSD from uh, hearing planes and stopping for planes and so on. Planes, mm. trains. It must, and be, it must be really stressful because you're like 
it's money, right? It's being burned yeah. up when you're waiting, yeah. basically. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the margin, yeah, the margin for error on an indie film is just so low, even as it is. So it's like now you're you're spending more time just waiting for, you know, these things that you know, unfortunately, you have to you have to put up with. Uh, all right, so the movie gets completed, and what what was your kind of dream scenario for this film? Right, I assume. It gets released by like a nationwide, you know, uh, distributor, and it's out in theaters and advertised to the gills and so on and so forth, right? Like, I because I, that's what most people dream of when they make a film. But there are obviously many things that stood in the way of that. Uh, one of which was the pandemic, and so I, how did that old did, thing? That old thing. How did the distribution unfold for this movie? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, traditionally you would make a movie and then submit to a film festival, hopefully a, a more prestigious film festival that where you could launch sales or kind of like make a big splash at. Um, but the goal is to kind of get everybody in the room to see the movie together. And then you kind of build that little hype bubble and make sure, you know, the buyers are seeing the crowd reaction. They get excited by that and they kind of like buy it, you know, uh, and you have this big bidding war and, you know, we all kind of heard all those, you know, fairy tale stories of, bidding wars and um so i mean these were all in the cards we never we didn't really know exactly how we wanted things to turn out but you know we always thought that was a possibility especially with the movie like this which is um we you know we made this as a crowd pleaser we yeah. want to entertain and i think it's definitely best enjoyed uh on a big screen with big sound and and strangers you know strangers in the dark that's always the best way to see it um so like you say unfortunately we went to pandemic but uh uh, we world premiered at uh, Fantasia Film Festival, which is out of Montreal, but they turned to a virtual edition uh, for 2020. Uh, and so this was all online and it was all kind of like uh, through through their streaming platform, which is, uh, you know, hats off and kudos to all the film festivals that, you know, uh, have pivoted and tried to make the best of it. Because at the end of the day, it was about the community and reaching out and engaging films with the community. So that's great. The sales stuff is, you know, all the glom on, on top of that. So uh, obviously, we understand the purpose of film festivals just to celebrate, you know, cinema. Uh, but, uh, you know, but we did kind of lose that kind of experience where you had people in the room together. And so when we had actually launched sales was actually we had the buyers get, you know, screening links. So, and, you know, so who knows how they saw the screening link at right. home with a screaming baby with a laptop speakers or whatever. It's like, it's not ideal. Like, I, you know, I watched the movie on my iPhone six while I was, uh, on my Peloton actually. There you go. There you go. And I hope you got, you know, all your, <laughs> your time in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly that. So, if, <laughs> right. you know, buyers are so-called distributors and buyers are considering a film, you know, in that type of format and medium, like, you know, are they kind of getting the full flavor of what the movie could be? Yeah. Um, and again, and even pandemic times, like are are buyers even wanting to buy? Are they, you know, getting cold feet? You know, are their commitments as 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 solid as they were before? So that's another question. But all things told, like fortunately, we had Wellgo USA, which is um, uh, you know specialty boutique distributor, you know, come in and and want to acquire their film and and make a statement. So we, all things told, like it's been great so far working with Wellgo. Yeah, um, I, I was so happy for you guys when I saw that news because they are. Very well respected. I love the stuff they put out. A lot, they put out a lot of martial arts, a lot of action yep. stuff, a lot of genre material, and uh, they seem to treat their releases quite well. So uh, yep. that that was awesome. When the genre uh, yeah. releases is definitely definitely um, on brand, if you will. You know, they've done yep. Train to Busan and Yitman, but you know, peeling behind 
the curtain a bit is that it's a Taiwanese American mom and pop company out of Plano, Texas. You know, it's not in New York, you know, juggernaut. It's not LA. They're in Plano, Texas and they intentionally. So like they started out, you know, selling karaoke laser discs as a company and then they got into film distribution and uh, the CEO Doris is Asian American. um, And she really wants Asian American work. You know, she really wants that as a presence for Asian American films to, to kind of like flourish. So in a lot of ways, we were kind of that perfect hybrid for them. Like it was genre so that they could still build, you know, off that strength, but also it was kind of opening doors in a way to have an Asian American, you know, work that's, that's, uh, you know, plays at Asian American film festivals and is recognized as a piece of that. Um, so I think it was, it was a great kind of marriage to have, have us, uh, with Wogo. Yeah. And it seems like you're happy with the results. I mean, the movie has ranked well in iTunes sales charts. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? It's so incredible. Seems it's incredible. like uh seems like yeah. Wellgo has done a good job of uh, obviously the film is great, but you Wellgo has done a good job of getting it out there as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um but uh last last question, you know, and it kind of on that note around uh, Asian American work you know, obviously this past year has been a year where uh, a lot more attention in America has been paid towards uh, racial issues. And um, that, that applies to uh, many different minority groups, but one of them is uh, Asian Americans. And I am curious, you know, one of my favorite parts of this movie was when uh, Carter, the one of the white characters in the film, uh it speaks in, I believe, uh, fluent Cantonese mm-hmm. to the Asian American characters, and they don't really understand what he's saying because he can speak it better than them. And <laughs> they're very exasperated and frustrated, and also probably like mildly embarrassed. And it's definitely an emotion I felt, um, mm-hmm. you know, meeting like a white person who can speak my language better than me. You know, it's like this weird. It's just, it's just weird. It's like yep. I, I don't know how to describe it, but this film like captured it. It was a very small moment in the film, but mm-hmm. it did capture it. Uh, and I guess I'm curious, like if you felt like the movie, uh, has something to say given the current environment that we live in, you know, and if so, like what that is, like what, what, what of your Asian American perspective do you want to come out in the movie? Yeah. I mean, like, again, like I said, I wrote this, you know, many, many years ago, so I had no idea, you know, we have pandemic and no idea that we'd have these heightened kind of racial tensions, uh, obviously red chill tensions have always been around, but not, you know, yeah. not to what we've been seeing. Um, so I guess I'll sidestep kind of the, that question of where it is now. I think maybe we'll let some people commentate on what that means, you know, on the here and now, but for me, when I set out to write it, you know, I did want to kind of speak to our experience of, you know, kind of like exactly what you're saying, those kind of feelings of insecurity and sufficiencies and, and, and not being able to speak the language. And what does that mean to be Asian American? Cause you're kind of stuck between two worlds Yeah. in a lot of way. You're not, you know, Asian enough for Asians and you're not American enough for Americans apparently. Uh, so you always have this kind of like in between identity and in a way we've kind of formed our squad with each other. You know, I, you know, I'm Vietnamese, but like my best friends growing up and we're, we're all to, not Vietnamese, but we were all immigrant children. You know, they were Korean and Chinese and Japanese and, and Filipino. So, but we all had this shared experience of being an outsider, of being being in between. So, on a lot of ways, we had our own core identity formed just by being that. And in a lot of ways, you know, people are saying some people are saying <laughs> Asian Americans is almost its own cultural experience. 
in and of itself. And I, I do see that more and more now. Um, so it's the same way with this film. It's like these characters are, are kind of in between spaces. It's nothing needs to be said out loud. You know, it's not saying I'm, I'm Asian and I'm black. I'm here. I'm black. It's like, it's just like they have the experiences that they're best friends and they look out for each other. And when one is aggrieved, you know, all of them are grieved kind of thing. So I think that's kind of, kind of the things that, uh, I was wanting to kind of put on screen. Well, Bao Tran is the writer and director of The Paper Tigers, which is available for purchase right now. Bao Tran, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, and uh, it was a great chat. Thank you.